If you have your Bible this morning, would you turn with me please to Genesis chapter 28 as we are reading verses 10 through 22. This morning we're beginning a new series of studies, a very brief series, only three Sundays because very shortly we'll be at Palm Sunday and then Easter. And so for the next three weeks we're looking at three individual biblical characters, well-known characters, and the theme for these studies is nevertheless. And so we're beginning at Genesis 28 this morning at verse 10. If you're watching from home or perhaps you're here for the first time, if you are intending to watch again next Sunday or join us next Sunday, please let me encourage you to bring a Bible with you. As Sunday morning As we work our way through our service, we inevitably begin with worship and prayer, speak to our children, have some announcements. We begin to move towards the study of God's Word. And we do so intentionally because we believe that as we open up and study God's Word together, He then applies it to our lives on Sunday morning, and we seek to live out our faith and grow and mature in that faith in the course of the week. So it's important to have a Bible with you, and if you really want to be prepared, bring a little uh, notepad or something to write on and a pen to take some notes so you can remember all that we are looking at on Sunday morning. And today we're focusing for our first study on Jacob, and we're beginning Genesis 28 verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, and when he reached a certain place. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. 
A number of you this past week have been in touch because last Sunday morning I somewhat inadvisedly said, please send us photographs of your children doing their activity sheets, which you see uh, folks did. And then, and here is the inadvisable part, I said, please send us photographs of your pets at home as well, watching on Sunday morning. And so on Sunday afternoon, I received... A wonderful image of Pedro the parrot. Pedro is 45 years old and he's watching our live stream. And I am reassured that Pedro watches pretty regularly, but he also naps during the sermon. And so, Pedro, welcome. It's good to have you with us this morning. He is like about 65% of the congregation, catching 40 winks in the middle of uh, the sermon. Now, we put this on Facebook this last week, and some of you responded in a very creative manner and said, Richard, let me show you some of the pets that have also been watching. And so we have the new giraffe at the Greenville Zoo, so thank you for that. And clearly some of you have more imagination uh, than one would think, but there he is. And then it got a little out of hand as the week went on, and others said, here we are, Uh, this is our best attempt. And then finally, and one which I appreciated particularly the most, was Baby Yoda is watching us from somewhere in a galaxy far, far away, apparently. Uh, So it's a delight to have so many watching this morning, and thank you for your humor. I do not know who sets that tone. It's just appalling, but thank you nonetheless. Now, having said all of that, that theme of surprise is going to dominate our next three Sundays together. As we look at, as I mentioned earlier, three biblical characters who are going about their daily activities and they find themselves in surprising circumstances. Sometimes God has brought the surprising circumstances into their lives. Sometimes it has been their own creation. And in the midst of those surprises, it's almost as if we hear God saying, I recognize what you're going through. I see that these are challenging days for you, but nevertheless understand this And God begins to intervene in miraculous ways. And we're going to see exactly that with Jacob this morning. Jacob, of course, is a character we know and know well. God deals with him in a very loving, gracious manner. But he also deals with him in a profound and deeply personal way. And we're about to see that. In fact, as God interacts with Jacob for the first time in Genesis 28. It leaves Jacob disturbed and shaken to the very core of his being as he engages and encounters God in ways that he could not have previously imagined. And it is crystal clear that the hand of God himself is on Jacob's life as he shapes and molds him. And we could say with a great deal of certainty that what Jacob is about to encounter here at the end of chapter 28, so many centuries ago, is a normative experience for Christians in any century. 
And that's what we're going to see unfold this morning. And as you come to chapter 28, we begin at verse 10, and we read these fairly innocuous words. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Now Jacob is leaving his family home. And he's leaving it for the first time. Up till now, he had been dependent on his parents, his elder brother, Esau. He had a fairly normal upbringing. But in the course of his upbringing, he had become extremely dependent on his mom. They had become very close over the years. Esau, arguably with his dad, Jacob with his mom. And as this passage unfolds, we find Jacob alone in the dark. And this is a story characterized by jealousy, power, intrigue, loneliness, love, romance, deception, bribery, threats, manipulation, and control. And although we come across Jacob lying in the darkness, he's lying there not simply thinking about the circumstances of his life, but he is also thinking deeply about the spiritual realities that have brought him to this point. And it is clear that God is about to do something spectacular in the life of Jacob. And please remember, Jacob had a very famous grandfather, Abraham, father, Isaac. And I imagine as a wee boy that in the evenings, mom and dad would have Esau and Jacob sit at their feet as they began to unfold how God worked in spectacular ways in the life of his grandfather and in his father. And I wonder if growing up, listening to his mom and dad speak about and describe God at work in that manner, I wonder if it ever crossed Jacob's mind that he would like God to work in a similar manner in his life. And I wonder if he prayed, Father, would it be possible that you could use me in some way? Would it be possible that you could engage with me? I would long for you to work in my life like that. And as he grew from those tender, innocent years of five or six into being eight and ten and twelve, did he distance himself from God? Did he wander from the presence of God and the voice of God? But nevertheless, the hand of God was on Jacob's life. And the strange and amazing thing is this, that Jacob was unaware of it, couldn't see it, couldn't sense God at work, but he was clearly at work. And it's worth remembering that in the life of Jacob and so many other biblical characters, the doors of opportunity often open on the smallest of hinges when it comes to spiritual reality. God often works in the most mundane, daily, everyday circumstances 
Because in doing so, he's examining our character. And he's examining how we respond to his call and his word and his influence in our lives. And it's in those daily, mundane, routine circumstances that God is watching and preparing us for what's to come. Now we know, of course, that the name Jacob also means deceiver, fraud, cheat. And at the moment of his birth, he was born immediately after his brother Esau. But the scriptures tell us this, that at the moment of their birth, when Esau was born first, Jacob grabbed his brother's ankle, almost as if to pull him back into the womb so he could be the firstborn. And the name and the behavior of Jacob are well matched. He sought to manipulate and control every situation he found himself in to his own advantage. And having recognized all of that, we know that as a young adult, he deceived his father, he stole his brother's birthright, And things had become so bad that Esau said to him, Jacob, after this period of mourning for my father's death, I will kill you the next time we meet. That's how serious the relationship between Esau and Jacob had become. That's how angry, apoplectic, Esau was because Jacob had stolen his birthright. And towards the end of the first half of the chapter, Jacob's mom suggests to him that he should leave the family home and go and live with his uncle in Haran. And so that's the backdrop to what we're about to see here in the second half of the chapter. What else can we say about the chapter Well, rather than say it all, let me encourage you to use your imagination and travel back with me and stand in the shadows as Jacob tries to settle down for the evening and watch what unfolds. The passage tells us this, he set out for Haran and when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. Let's pause for a moment. In the Hebrew language, when he reached a certain place, that word certain place is bamakum. And it has a significance all its own. The definite article is used. In other words, the literal translation is this. When he reached the place, the place, not just when he had gotten halfway, not just when the sun had set for the night, but in fact, when he reached a certain place. And it suggests, in fact, that A prior appointment had been made. He had reached a special place. A place where things were about 
to change. And the translators of the NIV get it absolutely right when they translate it, when he had reached a certain place. Now, some of us, from time to time, will find ourselves in a certain place. And it may be, as an adult, you can look back to your college years and say, Richard, during those years, God was so close to me, I felt his presence, his tender touch, his leading, his directing in my life. At that point, I had discovered what it meant to stand on my own two feet as a Christian. I was no longer dependent on the faith of my parents. I was away from them for the first time. That was my certain place. Or it may be that when you moved away from your family home, got married, you discovered that as you faced life with its challenges and blessings, not only did you take them in your stride, but as a young married couple, God answered your prayer in spectacular ways. And as you grew in faith with your spouse, that was your certain place. God was at work. Or could it be that your certain place is now? Grandchildren have arrived. Health issues are challenging. Thinking of moving to a larger home because you're struggling with space for you and your children. Seeking promotion at work. And you're wondering, what would God have me do? And I've been praying and seeking His presence and asking Him, what should I do? And you hear God saying to you, even in the midst of these challenges you are facing, nevertheless, I am right there with you. Are you in a certain place? And here was Jacob away from family for the first time in his life. No dad, no mom to say your granddad Abraham would have done this or Isaac would have done that. None of that. Here was Jacob, away from home, had his own hands firmly on the steering wheel of his life. And yet here he was, lying in the darkness, isolated from everyone and everything. And notice what comes next. Not only was he in a certain place, but we read taking one of the stones, which Tina reminded us of, that milestone, that marker of God at work. He put it under his head and lay down to sleep, and he had a dream. Now here's a question. Why not a burning bush? Why not an angelic appearance? Someone to walk him through what God was calling him to. Someone who could explain, or in terms of a burning bush, the voice of God explaining what was coming next and what God was doing. Why a dream? Because Jacob, the manipulator, couldn't control and manipulate a dream. An angel to talk with, he probably could have. He was gifted in the area of manipulating others. No question. Most of the time got exactly what he wanted. 
He was so good at it, controlling others, manipulating their emotions. But in a dream, he could do nothing. He was passive. He simply had to lie there and watch it unfold. And God knew exactly what he was doing with Jacob, the manipulator. Jacob, the one who delighted in deceiving in order to help his own ends. And so here he was. And as the dream unfolded, what do we discover? He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the idea there, of course, is that Jacob now has access to God in a way he hadn't before and couldn't grasp or understand. And there, as he looked up, was the Lord himself standing right there. And from a vision, it then leads to the voice of God. And God says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And he's saying to him, Jacob... All your days I've had my eye on you and I have been preparing you for this moment. And Jacob, you had no idea and you sought to live out your life through parents and grandparents and your ancestors when in fact, Jacob, what I wanted was to work in and through you. But Jacob, in recent years, all you have sought to do is to manipulate and control those around you for selfish gain. Jacob, I know who you are. Jacob, I understand entirely what you have done. And Jacob, you need to understand that what you did to your brother was entirely unacceptable. The repercussions of that will go on for the rest of his life. And no wonder... No wonder at this point he hates you. You stole his birthright and his inheritance. And it's no good to you because you've had to flee. Jacob, what on earth are you thinking? I know the man you are. But nevertheless, I am going to be your God and you will follow me. And Jacob, I'm about to bless you and your family. And as you travel to the east and to the west and God begins to describe exactly what will take place and jump down to verse 15 and if you don't have it underlined or a little tick in the margin of your Bible, do so this morning where he says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And God is establishing a covenant with Jacob just as he did with his ancestor Abraham. I am your God. And entering into a covenant, what does that mean? Well, for Presbyterians, covenant is a big deal. It is foundational to biblical theology. And it means this, that when God enters into a covenant relationship with his children, that covenant relationship, the best parallel I can draw to it, is one of marriage, when both enter into a deeply 
personal, profound relationship that involves promises and obligations. Jacob, I will be your God and I will be with you and I will lead and guide and direct you and walk alongside you and I will be with you and you will follow me. And Jacob, regardless of your past, regardless of a sinful lifestyle which you took on all too easily, Jacob, regardless of the man you have become, nevertheless, I will be your God. And God, in all of His love and grace, extended that love and grace to Jacob. And He did so in a comprehensive, exhaustive manner. Not reluctantly. Not only if I have to. But he lavishes his love and grace on Jacob. I will be your God. And I wonder this morning if someone watching on live stream or someone here in the sanctuary needs to hear that this morning. And I wonder if you are sitting there saying, Richard, That's just for me this morning. Because in the last month or six weeks, in the back of my mind, I am a situation in my business where I have been tempted several times to financially change things to my own benefit. And here's the thing. No one would know. No accountant would work it out. I have been planning and scheming and plotting. And I am working on the books and no one could trace it back. And incidentally, Richard, if I was really being honest, I would have to tell you, I deserve it. I've sacrificed endless hours, lost time with my family, and I deserve it. I'm heading towards retirement, and that belongs to me. Really? Is that where you are? And God has been quietly watching and calling and talking to you and drawing you closer and reminding you of who you truly are. I wonder if He's whispering to your soul this morning and saying, regardless of this circumstance, nevertheless, I love you, you're mine. This is not you. This is not who you are. Because please hear this. Your sin will find you out. And the consequences are unthinkable. Or it may be you are saying, Richard, I've been going through something of a midlife crisis. And I've been tempted at work to be involved in a relationship with someone I shouldn't be involved with. I've been plotting and planning in my mind. How do I cash in my retirement funding? How do I slip away from my family and my home and abandon them and go off on a new life? And that's what's been tempting me and that's what's been drawing me and it's been powerful and overwhelming at times. And if that's you, please hear him. Never the less. I love you and you're mine. 
Temptation isn't sin. And it's time to walk away. It's time to give it up. And it's time to remember who you truly are. And if it's neither of those scenarios, maybe it is with you an explosive temper or a fragile self-esteem or a freezer-sized appetite you can't control. Or maybe you are simply distrusting of anyone in authority, always critical of everyone and everything, trying to put the world to rights. And you're living with volcanic anger. And your persistent and cynical sin keeps tempting you. Nevertheless, you're mine. And I love you and I will not let you go down this road. And notice what happens to Jacob as God reveals himself in covenant love. And verse 16, when Jacob awoke from this sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Nevertheless, God was right there for Jacob, always had been, and always will be with you. And when he intervenes, and when he draws attention to the spiritual realities that are deep in your soul, pay attention, pay attention. And wouldn't you love to have God write in this chapter of your life, nevertheless, nevertheless, born to parents with alcohol and drug addiction, but nevertheless, they led a sober life. Never went to college but nevertheless mastered the business world and is now successful. Nevertheless, never read a Bible until retirement age, but nevertheless has a deep and abiding faith. Nevertheless. And so this morning, let me encourage you to take home one word. Jacob. Deceiver, manipulator, someone who delighted to control everyone and everything. Nevertheless, God in His love and in His grace lavished His love on Jacob. And maybe this Sunday, and maybe it is time as you move into a new week, when you stop focusing on the temptation and the sin that is so easily available and remind yourself of His love and His grace and His call upon your life as you surrender and submit to Him afresh and are able to sing, In my life, Jesus shall reign. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning and the challenge it is to us. Father, help each of us to overcome the sin and the temptation crouching in our lives. Help us to overcome the unexpected 
the surprising circumstances and to focus on the radical, transformative, extensive love that you shower upon us. Father, bless us, please, and allow us to fully surrender to you again that you might reign in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.